Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you, Daniel, and uh, we begin yet another day. This is uh, an unusual clinic. When should you send an email? It's a topic that might seem insignificant, important, but with so many crushing questions and deadlines that the average marketer must face, probably this one, this particular question, while we often think about it, we rarely have time to truly consider it. But it is more important than you may think. You could work very hard to put together an effective email that has the high potential to achieve yeses, a high converting document, then send it to discover that simply the choice you made regarding the time of day, much less the day of the week, has negatively impacted that send. And it's such an easy problem for each of us to fix. Many of us would have a hard time going in and changing the programming on our landing pages, our particular forms. Some of us would have a hard time working through all the various aspects of our email sends. But determining the time of day to send the email and simply changing how we release that email in our software is a simple move that sometimes can have a dramatic impact on the numbers. We're going to talk more and more about that. You can talk about this particular clinic on Twitter with the hashtag webclinic. Uh, tag, and uh, I am Flint McLaughlin. I'll be leading today from MechLab's marketing experiments as we talk about this particular subject. When is the best time to send an email? Now, there's a lot of research. In fact, if you look on the screen, you'll see that Mailer Mailer tells you a certain time, 3 a.m., the best time to send your email. And uh, here is someone else, MailChimp, and uh, they propose that the best time is between 2 and 5 p.m. And uh, Here is uh, another one. HubSpot uh, has uh, suggested that the best time to send your email is on the weekends. I don't want to say that any of these are wrong, but I want to talk more deeply about how you discover the answer in particular for yourself. And I also want to begin with data, case studies, and the sort of uh, experimentation that is the hallmark of marketing experiments. So let's begin right away. Before I go any further, this case study and a lot of the complexity that has uh, gone into preparing for this particular clinic was possible because of our educational sponsor, which is ACTON. We're grateful for their help and their support. They, uh, they make it possible for us to deliver this clinic to you at no cost. And uh, with that in mind, let's begin with Test Protocol 2087. And it is in our library of experiments. We have the world's largest library of case studies and experiments uh, uh, in this field. And uh, it's a large financial institution, a very large uh, bank. And the goal here was to increase the amount of completed applications. And uh, the research question is essentially regarding send times. Of the send times tested, which time will result in the highest rate of completed applications? So look at the 14 total email sends during the week of the test. You can see that they're dispersed across various days of the week. There's 14 essential treatment paths. Each path had the same subject line and the same email body. 
The treatment values included sending two emails each day of the week, Monday through Sunday at 3 a.m. and 3 p.m. Which time of day do you think would perform the best? Is it the 3 a.m. or is it the 3 p.m.? And in fact, why don't you just take your, why don't you just take your, uh, your Q&A feature of uh, GoToMeeting and tell me what you think. Adam says it's 3 p.m. Ariel says 3 p.m. Brent says 3 a.m. Ross says 3 a.m. And now the votes are coming in so fast they're hard to read. Somebody said 2 p.m. The problem is we didn't send any at 2. Someone said 7 a.m. We didn't send any at 7 a.m. The choices are 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. As your votes are coming in, we're tallying those votes and, and paying attention to how you're thinking. What I'd like to do is just share with you the data set. So we organize the data this way. And you might see that the 3 p.m. time frame outperformed the 3 a.m. time frame by 13.5%. Now, that's a dramatic increase. And it leads to another question, and that is, which day of the week performs best? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yes, there are seven days to choose from. You might have thought that. Go ahead and give me your votes on this as well. I see a lot of uh, Thursdays and Wednesdays. Wednesdays, Tuesdays, look at this, Melissa, I can't, there you go, Tuesdays, marketers were all over the map in our votes here, Fridays, Sundays, all right, uh, more Tuesdays, Monday, here's a Saturday, as your votes are coming in, let's look at the data set, here is the click-through rate by day, and if we organize that, you can see, look at the sort of increase as the week goes on. From 10.47 on Tuesday to 10.9 on Monday, 11.1 on Thursday, and see it's building until the final Sunday, it was 12.9%. And, uh, and so, essentially, recipients were 23.2% more likely to click in an email sent on Sunday than one sent on Tuesday. That's a dramatic difference. And you can see, except for the Monday-Tuesday turn, it really, look at it, Monday-Tuesday, I guess Tuesday-Monday, Thursday-Friday, Wednesday-Saturday-Sunday is the actual order of those best-performing days. All of this sort of leads to a critical question, a more essential question than any I've raised so far, and that is, when is the best time for you to send your next email? That's what's really driving this, this clinic. And... It would be easy for me to talk about what other studies have said, but I'd rather get down deeper and talk to you fundamentally about the principles that govern the way you determine your email sends, and particularly when you send them and how frequently you send them. Now, once you understand those principles, you're able to translate this into a test. Your test is only as good as its hypothesis. And to get a, a hypothesis that might, well, perhaps lead to a desirable result, you need to sort of get into the zone. This is a, an understanding of the customer's thinking that's close enough that you can test your way into a final refinement. Now, to get into the zone, marketers must use a sort of their, their experience and their intuition, but to get to the final answer, they must test. I don't think most of us have ever thought deeply about the factors that determine frequency and the best time to deliver. And what we really want to do in this event is think about that. 
Now let's drop back and look at what we just saw in terms of the research. Possible reasons that, uh, that uh, click-through was higher on Sunday, less distractions, the advent of mobile uh, uh, attaches recipients to email 24-7, the personal nature of financial product causes higher click-through outside of the work because of the nature of the product itself. These are reasons that start to fill in the customer gap. Now listen, every single person listening to this event has in their own mind a sense of their customer, but that sense is plagued by a gap between what you know and what you yet do not know about your customer, what you have failed to discover yet about how they're thinking. In the end, this is about the cognitive psychology of the customer's buying rhythm. And for you to fill that gap, you've got to experiment your way in. And what you're seeing is hypotheses that may be drawn from this first test that can be further tested in order to refine our understanding and get sort of key principles that apply to many other types of marketing to this particular customer type. Possible reasons for lower click-throughs during the week, a higher level of distraction, customers are in work mode and less likely to be interested in a financial application. Perhaps that's the case. But this was a financial application for a personal financial product, a very expensive personal financial product, and I would weigh in personally because I'm familiar with this experiment. Uh, I would weigh in personally by saying most people are not going to get involved in a complex application process during their work week when they're sitting at their desk and it has something to do altogether different than the work that is at hand. They don't have time. They can't involve themselves and there's personal questions and information that they, uh, they can't grapple with as well in that environment. What does all this lead to? Some critical principles. Number one, there is no one-size-fits-all time frequency for an email send. But the universal goal of email timing is to synchronize your email delivery with the cognitive psychology of the customer's purchase cycle. And there are five consistent factors from campaign to campaign that will impact your customer's purchase cycle. And we're going to start moving through those five as I start to sort of take the balance of the time we have together and help you get a more fundamental understanding of how those factors come to play in determining frequency and how you actually plot the SIN strategy for your email campaigns. And we'll move through them quickly, beginning with the first one, the decision cycle. Now, this references the decision cycle of the customer. This is the optimal frequency of an email as it is directly related to the decision cycle of the offer. How often is this person you're sending this email going to make a purchase decision like the one you're engaging them with? The shorter the cycle, the more likely you can get away with a higher frequency. Now, let's look at this from a data standpoint. And so, I shall uh, take you to... Another case study, large e-commerce company, one of the largest in the world, strong online presence, and they came to us saying, uh, and by the way, if I told you their name, you would know and you would have an opinion about the frequency because many of you are getting emails from this group every single day. They said to us, is there any way you can help us determine if our frequency is wrong? How often should we send an email? Well, when they said this to me, my immediate thought was, I can tell you before you spend six months in a study that you're sending too frequently because I got probably two emails from you today and I'm going to get some more tomorrow. And you continue to seem to spam me with emails. But my opinion is only worth so much. And the data is what really 
decide these questions. And the data is nothing more than the vote of the customer. In the end, we're bringing the customer to the table and letting them vote. And this is what we did. We designed a study which looked for an email frequency that was best. It was focused on optimal frequency. And optimal frequency occurs. Notice this chart behind me. You'll see that there's a place where total revenue and unsubscribes are at the, you might say, ideal ratio. That is where revenue is going up, but your unsubscribe rate has not significantly increased at the expense of your revenue. And so with that in mind, we were looking for you know, a way that if we send more, we could continue to drive revenue without intensifying the rate of unsubscribes. We broke this into several cells. Three weeks, two weeks, ten days, one week, five days, three days, and two days. We took a segment of their very large subscriber base, more than a billion emails a year, and we segmented that group into seven different email frequencies, as you see, and then began our experiment. Now, I want to tell you that after this experiment, I'm going to show you several pieces of data you've probably never seen on one of our clinics. I have shown this once before, but I doubt most of you have ever seen it. If you've seen it, your vote I would expect to be perfect. If you've not seen it, which I think is most of you, please vote with me. One, two, three, four. Tell me what's the best frequency. And uh, there we go. Dominic says two. Joshua says four. Yusuf says uh, Yusuf, it went by so fast I couldn't see. Steve says four, and on they come. Three, two, four, one, three, six to nine, three, two, three. You can't say ten. Oh, I ten to fifteen is the number four. Three. When, by the way, people, when I'm calling one, two, three, four, I'm using the number on the left to signify, you know, the best sin. Five, one, two. There we go. Lauren says a three to four, which is uh, number two. And Tony says three, and Paul says three, and uh, Andrew Johnson says definitely not four. All right, let's take a quick look and see what the data sets tell us. Projected monthly revenue. Now listen, you need to look at this chart. This is one of the most significant charts we've shown you for some time. And this is a carefully validated scientific experiment. I want you to notice it and think about it. Projected monthly revenue rose consistently with increasing sin frequency. And this is the catch. The amount of sins did not have a significant impact on the overall rate of transactions. Now I want you to stop and think about this for a moment because this chart is suggesting something that's probably you're starting to absorb. It's saying the more you send, the more money you're going to make and it's not going to hurt your unsubscribe rate. Now I know that's anathema to many of you. And I would agree with you that if most of our businesses took this particular uh, study and applied it to ourselves, we'd be in serious trouble because we would burn our list rapidly. And I am not for spam. And by the way, these people were sending to people who had requested emails. But something unique is going on here and there's a lesson for the curious that we need to draw out of it and there's a principle that can help you and I make better decisions about our own frequency. Take a look. Projected unsubscribes rose. So, unsubscribes went up, but I want you to notice the rate of unsubscribes did not go up. Unsubscribes went up because there were more sins, and every time you send, then people have an opportunity to unsubscribe. But the ratio maintained consistency with the revenue, which meant essentially that people were not irritated enough to unsubscribe 
because of the frequency of the sins. It's just the number of opportunities increased. So, open rate did not appear to be significantly influenced. Did you hear that? Open rate, one of the things that we monitor so carefully, did not appear to be significantly influenced by sin frequency. The correlation coefficient R for open rate is a function of sin frequency, for those of you that are interested in this chart, of 0.0704 indicates there's no significant correlation between the variables. In fact, and I don't want to get too scientific and don't run away now because I'm talking to you, but this is so important I want you to understand this. The linear model coefficient of determination, that R2 that you see, established that for data collected, at most 8% of the variation in open rate could be explained by variation in sin frequency. What does all that mean? Simply uh, that we could not find any compelling scientific evidence that by increasing their frequency, they were hurting either their open rate or their unsubscribe rate. What's the, what's the bottom line? Based on this information, there's a potential ROI increase of 3x, 300% in monthly revenue by adjusting their send rate. Now, this should get you to start thinking. And you should realize that something different was going on here. And you might ask yourself, so what was it about this particular company's particular set of circumstances that made it okay for them to send so many emails? Well, I can tell you that the decision cycle for the people they were sending to was quick and frequent, meaning many times a year you needed their product. Not only did you need it many times, but when you needed it, you really needed it. It was urgent. It was the sort of product that you needed to give. I'll give you an example, but I won't tell you what the company was. Think of it like, uh, like sending a greeting card. When there's birthdays and there's special holidays and there are uh, you know, family members who just graduated and family members who just had a new baby and family members who just turned 50 years of age or just had their 50th wedding anniversary and somebody at your work who just got a promotion and, you know, you've got Christmas and, 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 and birthday, all of those things. You're constantly finding yourself in a quick need. Quickly or urgently, you need a quick solution. And so for the reason that we describe as a decision cycle, in this case, that decision cycle is very fast and its frequency was very high and its urgency was high. Now, that sort of leads to an understanding about utility. The first thing I've said is decision cycle. May I tell you that if this company was offering, let's suppose, uh, CRM solutions, a frequency like we're talking about here would devastate their list. Because the CRM solution decision cycle is much longer. And someone might not make that decision but once every several years. So, this is a key when you're trying to understand the cognitive psychology that would be associated with the decision, you might say, patterns of your prospects so that you can determine email frequency. Pay attention to the decision cycle. That's the first point. I'll take you to the second. Utility. Now, we have a lot of content. And... For some of you today, this may be uh, new and it might be a bit deep, but we're trying to keep it as simple as possible to help you to sort of parse in your mind the most important factors that you need to consider when you're determining your frequency and when you're setting up your test. Here is the next one, utility. Notice this uh, very, very special little uh, tool that you see behind us. 
We're talking about the nature of an email. And we're going to put on the left side of a certain scale, promotional, and on the right side, useful, high utility. A promotional email might be simply an offer to come in and, uh, and purchase something at a 20% discount. Useful, I want to me mean in a different way, that there's content in the email that goes beyond the immediate value of the purchase, but is useful to me now in some particular way. I'll give you an example. Suppose I'm thinking about a mortgage for my family. This might be content that tells me the top three mortgage rates right now in the country and tells me how to make a good decision about term. That would be useful content as opposed to pure promotional content. In fact, that email might not ask for a sale. That email might simply be serving me and building a warmer relationship with me for the moment when I am ready to make a purchase decision. So on the left is promotional, on the right is useful. And one of the factors that enables you to sin more frequently is the utility of your emails. And by utility, I'm referring to how useful they are. When the nature of a product, and this is an important principle, becomes more complex, when it requires a larger purchase commitment or has a longer sell cycle, it necessitates a focus on high utility emails. One of the words that we often use in lead management is the word nurturing. But most of us don't understand what nurturing is. And we think that nurturing is sending six pre-scheduled emails in a row with a series of uh, uh, sending offers related to our core product. But if in the nurturing cycle all you do is send promotional content, you're doing very little nurturing. That's not nurturing, that's pestering. And it's altogether different. High nurturing content is content that is useful. And the more useful the email is in its own right, the more valuable it is to you. Now, I'll confess a mistake for those of you that have been with marketing experiments for many years. And I'm sure I'll surprise my staff when I say this. But in the many years that we began the Marketing Experiments Journal, many, many years ago, we sent in the email a journal which was the compendium of results from a recent experiment. And people were ecstatic about it. We grew in that first year that we offered the journal with the first set of experiments to nearly 100,000 subscribers. And listen, that was a long time ago, and that was remarkable in those days. In fact, the first experiment we sent out was simple. We took 100,000 products, we ran them through 12 search engines for six months, and we got the conversion rate, prevailing conversion rate for each engine, and we published them in a side-by-side -side table with an explanation of our findings. People went People were ecstatic about that kind of content, and marketing experiments grew, and and Mech Labs, that you know, which is who we are today, uh, became uh, well. The world began introduced to become introduced to this. Ten years of research we'd been doing prior to that first release, and everything changed for us. When people got an email from marketing experiments, they always opened it because it always had useful content. And in fact. It had useful content, and even if they couldn't read it, many people were printing the emails and building notebooks with them because they were full of uh, these experiments and findings. Some of you may be on this call remember those days. But here's what happened. As the years passed and we began using lots of multimedia, we started sending out emails inviting people to attend the multimedia, and people began getting other emails from us that didn't have the hard body, the hard information that we typically send with a set of experiments we noticed our open rate going down. And that is because we began sending emails. They weren't promotional in the 
in the sense that we were selling things. They were promotional in the sense that we were promoting a clinic or something of that nature. And, and open rate went down. Why? It's very simple because the utility factor of our emails as an average went down and so open rate went down. Something we're correcting now. In fact, you're going to be finding that as even as I'm teaching, not only do we offer a transcript and not only do we offer the video of what I'm teaching right now, but we're going to offer a written article about this for any of you that are on this call at no cost where you'll be able to read the, the content and parse it and break it down and use it if that's the way you prefer to receive your information. And so what we have to be careful of is understanding the difference between promotional and useful as we're determining how many emails we can send. Uh, so, let's keep going. Uh, when the nature of the product becomes less complex, when it's an easy purchase decision, and when it's purchased often, it permits a more promotional email strategy, and you can send more frequently even promotional emails and still achieve uh, respectable open rates and, uh, and uh, have, uh, you know, uh, uh, efficacy with your email campaigns. This brings me to a third principle, relevance. So we've talked about the decision cycle. We've talked about utility. Now let's talk about relevance in a couple of interesting ways. All right? Here's the first point. The relevance of an email can be based on two factors. The internal motivation of the recipient. In other words, the person you send this to, the relevance of the email might be how relevant it is to their desires and needs. And the second is the external events surrounding a recipient. The timing of your email might need to consider both external and internal elements. And I know you don't know what I'm talking about because <laughs> I said it fast. So take a look at this chart. Internal relevance may be derived from their personal interests, their demographics, their shopping habits, their personality, their communication style, um, impending needs in their life, etc., etc. External relevance has nothing to do with their 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 personal choices, but has to do with seasonality, limited time offers, news events, competitive initiatives, things in the environment around them. Now, I'll explain what I mean, showing you how relevance has an important impact on frequency by showing you, again, another case study. And in this case study, we took five key email segments. This was to a current subscriber of a publication that had never given a gift from that publication to anyone. A current subscriber that had given a gift was the second sale. A lapsed subscriber that had never given a gift. A lapsed subscriber that had given a gift in the past. And one that had never subscribed but had come and given a gift. So you have five different types. The company segmented the current email list into these five distinct groups and sent targeted messages. Let's take a look at one. The current subscriber has given a gift. There's one. And it says, hi, username. And that's obviously where their name goes. And you've recently given one of your friends a generous gift of X subscription. And tis the season to be jolly once more. All right. So it's, it's another company. The copy might be a bit of corny. But what it's doing is it's connecting to the fact that you've given a gift before. And it's reminding them there's an external factor here. Christmas. So that's external relevance. But there's also internal relevance, and that is you've recently given one of these gifts to your friends, and you know what it is to be a subscriber and how useful it is because you are one also. Now we have internal relevance. So we have examples of both external and internal relevance. Here is, uh, here is another piece. External relevance is, as before, the email uses the holiday season to motivate the recipients, but it has internal relevance, messaging. It says... 
that it speaks to the subscriber who hasn't sent a gift to anyone before. Did you know that you can give a gift? And it says view 120 gifts per page instead of just 24 and browse with no ads anymore on the site and personalize their journal layouts and get advanced. It's, it's trying to appeal to internal relevance. Those are examples of two types of relevance. And the relevance has a major impact on how willing people are to put up with your email in the inbox. Now, just remember this. When your email comes into their box and they see it, they are not going to their inbox with anticipation, looking forward to going through their emails. Does any of us do that anymore? No. You read your inbox with a predisposition to eliminate emails. You're trying to delete everything you don't have to pay attention to and then group those items which demand your attention into a separate category. You're not even competing with other companies in the inbox. You're competing with other emails. Any other email that demands their attention has the ability to displace your email and take their attention away from you. How do you get their attention? You've got to be intensely relevant internally or externally to what they're doing. And we'll talk more about that as this unfolds. And so, so if you're sending many emails and if relevance goes down, you're going to be put in that deleted pile or you're going to be put at the bottom of that separate category of, yes, I have to read this and pay attention to it. You want to be at the top of that category. And how does that category emerge in an inbox? You simply skip over it and leave that one while you're deleting the other ones. And those that are left are ones that you've got to pay attention to. That's the way many people do it. Some drag it somewhere else and go back and look at it later. But most people simply allow those emails that have survived the delete finger to sort of cluster together. You want to be not just at the top in terms of that list, because you can't always control that time of day can help, but at the top in their mental priority for what must be read. And relevance is the key factor that impacts that. So, look at Test Protocol 2004. Media company offering a free trial for day traders. Instructional content for day traders. The goal is to increase the amount of free trials. Of the sin times tested, here's the question, which time will result in the highest rate? Here's the equity screening database. That's the product. The main offer for this campaign was a free trial giving the reader access to the equity screening database. Again, it's for day traders. Email A, send time is Monday, beginning of the week. Email B, send time is Thursday, end of the week. Audience, tell me, which email time is best? This time, tell me why. I know you're saying it, B, A, B, A, but tell me why. Just give me a quick note, why. Why do you think B, I see B, A, B, B, B. They have more time, someone says, B. Less emails to sift through, someone says. Monday, it gets off to a great week. B, uh, I'm reading them as they're starting to come in. They're coming in really fast now. Because Monday is hectic. Somebody says B. A, start at the beginning of the week. A, relevance to the week. B, same principle as Sunday, more time. All right? I'm listening to you and let me show you as these come in, the data sets. What can we see? Well, a 30% relative difference when it was sent on Thursday. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but I want you to understand something. Marketer, without changing a word of an email, without changing a word of the headline, without changing a word of the subject line, you get a 30% improvement by picking the right day. Now, that's significant, and that's why this clinic might 
not be as attractive as a topic to many and yet be so vital because how else can you find 30% so easy than by changing the day of the week you send it? And uh, Lisa, I don't, don't generally get questions that fast, but it says, were these sent to the same people on both days or different lists on each day? Same list demographic. All the samples are part of the validity test that we do in something called the test protocol. So it's, uh, it's a, a, a incredibly valid test. Uh, let me continue now as you look at this. What's the real key here? Well, why do you think people uh, were interested in Thursday? Well, our theory, because we, we thought Thursday might be the better day, was that uh, 30% lift in conversion was due to the fact that day traders doing their research on the weekends uh, find that more powerful when the market is closed. And that's when they're more likely to use some of the sophisticated tools that we were sending out. And our research offer was relevant to an external event, the closing of the market. So that factor had significant impact on relevancy. Now, is that accurate? Well, subsequent tests helped us dial in even tighter. But that's the sort of hypothesis that you're building to close in the customer gap and to get that deeper, more profound understanding as to what's going on in the mind of the party that you're trying to reach. Let's keep going. Let's look at um, relevance is intensified by two factors, importance and urgency. There are many things that are relevant, but they're not important. I don't have time for them. Or they're relevant and they're important, but I don't have to deal with them yet because they're not urgent. Look at this simple chart that we built here. You have urgent and important or urgent but not important. You have important but not urgent. And you have not important and not urgent. Where do you want to be with your relevancy? Right there where you see that red box. Urgent and important. The combination of urgent but not important can still permit frequency and still get a response. The combination of important but not urgent could get a response, but it may need to be delayed. The combination of not important and not urgent is not likely to move them to say yes. And the first yes you're trying to win is to read that, that open... Uh, you know, read that subject line and click open that email. So you want to try to get your emails up in the upper left quadrant. And that helps you get where you need to be in order to achieve the highest possible relevance. Now, there is yet another factor. And I'm going to take you to the fourth factor in just a moment that sort of determines both when you can send and helps you understand what you should be testing. Before I there, let me just have you do this for me. Um, can you, if you're finding this useful, would you, and you like the pace, would you quickly give me feedback using your Q&A feature on uh, uh, GoToMeeting? We're watching it very carefully to try and control the pacing of what we're doing. If we have time, we're going to do some live optimization of your emails that you've sent us as we're going. But the goal here is to help you with as much useful information as we can in this short period of time as we can possibly do so. Great. Um, I, I'm valuing that. We're watching as it comes in and we're reading it and we're using it to adjust what we're doing. Thank you. But it's, it's very positive feedback and I'm very grateful. Let me keep going. Number four. The fourth element of these five is the nature of the product. Now, this is easy enough to demonstrate. Email timing is affected by inherent emotional responses produced in the encounter someone has with your product and its nature. Some have uh, an emotionally negative connotation. Aging, health, 
mortality. Um, you know, some of the most effective marketers in the business are those who sell cemetery plots and funeral arrangements. It's shocking to me what an industry that is. But it's not something that we want to think about very frequently. And it's an example, an extreme example of something emotionally negative. And so when you're thinking about frequency, you have to look at the nature of your product. On the other hand, some, some products are essentially positive in the reaction they produce inside of someone. Uh, related to travel or someone's really intense hobby interest. Uh, for a fisherman, it might be things related to fishing. For uh, a golfer, it might be things related to golf. Uh, the point is, emotionally positive, emotionally positive products evoke a different sort of response and I'm more likely to accept a higher frequency when the nature of the product itself is uh, provoking a, a cognitive reaction, a cognitive psychological reaction that is positive in nature. So, remember to factor in the nature of the product as well as relevancy when you're thinking about what is the optimal frequency leads me to a fifth piece, and that is the expectation set. Now, people have a certain expectation set for what the frequency should be. This is sometimes determined by the standards in the industry. The reality is, uh, you may find that, that most people in your industry send an email every two weeks and not more than that. And if you start to intensify that, people are going to be surprised because they don't expect that. Certain B2B markets, that would be normal. Once a week would be pushing it. More than once a week would be really pushing it. And you need to be cognizant as to what people are already expecting from you based on, first of all, sort of the industry practices. Uh, here's an example. If I sign up for Groupon, then I'm expecting emails once a day and usually in the morning. And I'm prepared for that. It's what I signed up for. On the other high, and if I sign up for Atmex... Um, it has a lot to do with the unpredictable activity of the market and I'm certainly not expecting an email every single day. Getting the timing right has a lot to do with understanding what one would expect to be standard in the industry. It's also closely determined by what you promise or imply in the sign-up form on your email. Let me give you an example. This is a case study. It's an e-tailer catering primarily to teen shoppers. The house email list was 300,000 addresses, but they didn't feel like they were getting the maximum yield from the list. And so, they wanted to increase email revenue by increasing the relevance of their emails. So, how could they get their emails more relevant? Well, a lot had to do with timing and expectations. This was the original standard email capture. It's located on the home page, so it, it gets noticed. And, um, and uh, the, it's prominent placement. And uh, they successfully captured thousands of emails, and I find that demographics more likely to sign up for an email sometimes. It's not that they're email-centric. In fact, they don't use email that frequently, but they're not as afraid of emails as a busy professional is. And so sometimes you can get their response, but the value prop for that is very low. Email newsletter, get $10 off now, and sign me up. Prominent placement, they'd captured thousands of emails, but the response to the emails was less than optimal. What did they do so that they could improve the relevancy and, in effect, uh, the expectation and timing factors? Well, they changed to this. On the product landing page, an email alert specific to the product was added. Email to a friend, 
and add to the wish list and get t-shirt alerts. What did that do? Well, it related the email capture to something they were absolutely interested in. Two, it segmented the list to include only customers interested in the specific product. You realize what a powerful segmentation tool that was because this was connected to every product so you could organize your database by product type. It delivered only product-specific emails to the list that uh, had requested so, and so CTR and conversion rate were dramatically improved. And it created the expectation that they would receive an email, and the timing of that email was related to the selected brands and the new arrivals of their products. So, sporadic was all right. The frequency had some room for a sporadic sort of flow, which kept it feeling as though what you were receiving was fresh and new and a unique opportunity. Did it have an impact? What did it do for them economically? Here's the result. Email revenue increased by 318%. Now, I want you to notice something. We're not just talking about a conversion number. We're not just talking about click-through. We're saying that email revenue itself increased by 318%. So, getting that expectation set properly and getting as relevant as possible had a dramatic impact on the overall performance. And so, think about that for just a moment and then realize that essentially we're saying there are five components that help you determine what might be the optimal frequency for your email, and that once you've taken into account these five, you can set up the proper test to refine your way in. Keeping that in mind, a couple of things we can do. One, we can take some questions. Paul, if you'll prepare me for that. Two, I'm going to move to some of the email campaigns that you sent asking us to evaluate. And so we're going to look at some of those in just a moment. I'm going to be in February at the Marketing Sherpa Email Summit in Las Vegas at the Paris Hotel, I can in good conscience honestly invite you to come. It's going to be remarkable. Our scientists, our analysts will be there. There will be case studies from many practitioners. You can go to the marketingsherpa.com forward slash email summit piece and read about it. And if you do come and you're on these clinics, we'd love for you to uh, come up and connect with us. Let me uh, thank our sponsor and go right on. Uh, again, I want to thank this group because they're paying for this clinic so that uh, we can afford to bring it to you. <laughs> and uh, in any event, uh, I want to go straight on to uh, uh, the first email that you submitted and you can see it right now behind me. It's Carpingo. Primary objective is drive clicks to contest promotions and reservations. It says Carpingo cares about their community and is value uh and is value-driven. The target audience is members of our car-sharing service. And so let's look at the email. So drive clicks. All right. Audience, what do you think about this email? Give me some thoughts. Right behind me on the screen. And you say, what does behind me mean? Remember that all that I'm doing right now is being filmed and the video will be released in about a week. And so when I say behind me, I'm referring to the audiences that will be watching this on YouTube and everywhere else when we're done. In addition to the many people that register for these events, we have many who watch the videos afterwards, and you'll be able to see the video with everything I'm teaching in a replay. I'm looking right now at this Carpingo, and uh, tell me, how would you make it better? Value Drive, uh, does it, it, it's not relevant. The superimposed uh, Santa looks uh, cheap, and <laughs> the message has no call to action. The marketers are harsh, Karma. 
uh, Karma submitted this page. It looks like their main goal is to increase their uh, uh, F Facebook likes and Twitter followers. They need a stronger headline. This call to action is weak, says Dominic. No idea what the page is for. Where's the call to action, etc. And Marion says, sorry, Karma, with a smiley face. Marketers, you're getting, Karma, you're getting marketers from all over who live and breathe this stuff, giving you almost a real live focus group with their input. We're going to look at it in just a moment. But Karma has particularly asked, how would you rate the format and how would you suggest getting members to recommend Carpingo without getting too pitchy? And, and otherwise, they may cancel their email opt-in. Well, I, I think, first of all, the headline in blue and orange is lost because, number one, you've got white on orange, which is a bad color combination, and there's banner blindness on everything above that. You've lost the first four inches of this email karma by making your own logo appear like somebody else's banner in an ad that has paid for that space as a placement on your email. Secondly, the... The headline that actually jumps is not a headline at all. It says, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and win. That's useful, but it's in the wrong location because it doesn't move people into the opening paragraph. The goal of the headline is to get people to read the opening paragraph. The goal of every headline is to do that. People who are seeing this cannot connect the headline with Santa Claus, with a car, and with the paragraph. There is a incongruence between the elements on the page. Not only that, but the image is so large it gets in the way of the messaging and it's in the wrong location on the page. So start with a good headline. Eliminate much of what you have at the top. Bring Carpingo in, but don't put it in a white box. Lose the orange. From the headline, take me to a subheader to ease me into a paragraph that has like three lines, three bullet points, and if there's an image, it's maybe lower right, and at the bottom of that paragraph and bullet points, is a strong, clear call to action. This is what I would do to get the highest response with this particular design. To know more, I'd have to study the list and look at the landing page associated with it. Karma, if you redesign this email and you'd like some more thoughts from us, send it to our teams here and our analysts will take a look and give you some feedback. All right, let's keep going. Um, CR England. And, uh, and the goal is to get people to apply for a job as a truck driver. Now, I uh, am uh, often called an absent-minded professor, largely because I can never find my keys, but I do remember certain things, all the numbers from way back, and I even remember that sometime in the past, I've seen this website, uh, it's a UK-based website, and I think you've submitted the landing page for this website, and now someone submitted an email. That's what I suspect, and if that's true, Devin, and you're on this call, confirm that for me. Yes, he says that is correct. Devin, Devin is on this call. Devin, I remember the website, so I do remember uh, background for this. And I'm looking now where it says, get people to apply for a job as a truck driver. That's the primary goal of the email. Uh, let me just talk to you about the email in general and tell you what you're doing right. You have a strong headline. Your images are sort of working. They're too big. They're taking up too much of the page, but they're working. You have a strong call to action, but you have the call to action too soon, I think, unless, Devin, they already know about you and they know exactly why they should apply today. You have three competing, more or less, boxes beneath this, which means you have no throughput with a clear message. But you have a nice linear flow in terms of the Apply Today button at the bottom is really strong and no experience required is really strong. The skeleton of this email would work. But to get it more effective, 
I would suggest, number one, that you reduce the impact of the images. We don't need to see that much and be careful that it doesn't look like a catalog page. It should be a message like a letter from you to them. This is number one. Number two, I would begin with, I'd be careful about the headline above the image because it gets lost there. So the first real headline you read is applied today and that's in your face too much. And underneath it is something, but it's gray on white, which makes it more difficult to read. At least it looks gray on white. It might not be. But why truck driving is right for you. If that's the headline, you have answered the question in a way that looks like there are three choices I must make. One of these three categories instead of allowing it to flow linear. You might be able to say something like this. There are three reasons why driving a truck could be your best opportunity. Number one, the pay is remarkable, and then it's something about that. Number two, it has significant stability. The industry has grown by 30% with a little bitty chart embedded beside it. Number three, it is, it is important to our economy, and this job serves to help your community. And you might explain something about that with a number, and then boom, it's easy to apply and here's what I'm going to say next, because now they have anxiety. You've got to deal with anxiety. It's easy to apply. You can do so in just three minutes, and you might be surprised how fast you get accepted. And then underneath that, the call to action. Devin, I'm actually writing the email, but I hope you sense the linear flow. I hope you see how that thought sequence is moving in a way that is easy for them to digest. And if you were to take that essential approach and combine that with this general layout, you might see uh, a stronger result. By the way, as I move on, and this applies to everyone, because I want to help all of you understand that there is transferable principles from any one of these emails that we're hoping apply to the entire audience. I don't want to help just one person when I want to look at email. I want to help all of you that are on the line. But notice the sequential flow. That's a principle. Notice the way we're communicating, the tone of voice. That's a critical principle. Notice that there is a linear layout in this email if you were to change uh, the way the graphics are in the three side-by-side -side pieces and you need to adopt that in your email. And also notice that I would test this against an email that was almost all plain text, Devin. You need a categorical challenge to this design because the reality is until you test the basic categories, you don't even know if you're in the right category before you start optimizing. I would, comp I would take the one I just designed and I'd do another very light HTML. It almost looks like plain text. And I would do that one. And then I would send a third one that made it, this is my third test bed, that makes it look like they were hand-selected to apply. And I wouldn't do this in any way that's unethical, but this sort of an official-looking email inviting them to move to the next step and explaining why. Done properly, those three different approaches help you sort of get into the wheelhouse and then you start refining. Let's keep going. Someone said, have we discussed, yes, the bank case. That was our very first study. Let's keep going. Live optimization. Payscale.com. The goal here is to get users to complete a survey. Now listen, I've got six minutes left and I'm going to use every single minute to do live up right to the last second. I've got nothing that I know of at the end of this. I'm just driving right towards more and more optimization to teach you as much as I possibly can. So, here is Payscale.com. The primary objective is to get users to fill out a survey. The value proposition is to find out how much you should be earning. I don't know how that's a value proposition of the email, but I, I will, I'll go on. Target audience is career-minded professionals. So you want them to fill out a survey. Let's take a look at it. Audience, what do you think? How would we improve this email? Someone says it's unfocused. Eliza, I would agree with you. 
Uh, too low uh, are the line height, Grant says. New font, says Birgit. Uh, where's the call to action, says Anne. Make it simple, says Madeline. Where's the survey, says Tina. Looks like spam, says Bond. Not a relevant heading, says Elias. Too many competing boxes. Absolutely right. No relevant heading. Again, someone says, uh, and, uh, and on and on it goes. Uh, this is Aubrey who submitted this. And Aubrey, marketers are trying to help you, but they're succinct and tierce because our time is short. This doesn't look like an email. It looks like a catalog page. And it looks like there are several different products that you're trying to offer here. And so there isn't a single message. If the goal here is to get a survey, what you don't want it to do is look anything like this particular email. Look in the middle where it says your salary profile. That looks like a Google ad that's been injected in a landing page. Here's a sort of rule of thumb. If your email looks like a landing page, it's probably a poor email. An email should feel like a message. It should not feel like a catalog page. It should not feel like a landing page. It should not feel like a magazine ad. I would meet them with a tight headline that tells them a solid reason why if they participate in this survey, there's a direct benefit to them. I would then have a line or two of text, three bullet points that emphasize how the, the benefits of taking this. Then I would assure them that it's fast and I would deal with any friction or anxiety and have a call to action and the whole thing would flow more like a letter than it would like this. And I would eliminate those three boxes stacked on top of each other at the bottom because it's confusing as if there are so many different calls to action on the page, they don't know which one is the right one. And if you want to talk about all three of those things, then you've got to do it in a completely different way. But this email is trying to do too much, Aubrey. All right? Audience, let's move on. And Aubrey, I hope that helps you. And if you'll do some redesign, we'll come back to you and we'll think about it with you and, and try to help you get an email that outperforms anything you've done so far. Here is um, Goodwill Easter Seals. Now, I know what my audience is going to say. Uh, education and engagement is the goal. And with your support, people with disabilities can find jobs. That's the, the emphasis of this email. Um, I think that it's a copy-heavy email, and here's what my audience is saying. A bit much, is that a newspaper? Too much text, too much text, oh my God, too much to read, too much text, too much copy, kind of long, way too much text, too much text, too long, too much text, holy wall of text, <laughs> Batman. Somebody says, holy wall of text, that was Edwin, too long-winded, too many links. Uh, Chris, I'm going to surprise my audience and say, I don't know if it's too much text. I've, done, I've had a lot of success with lots of text sent in an email like this, if it's the right text. My question isn't, is it too much? My question is, is this the sort of text that should be read on a landing page or should it be read in an email? If the goal is to get them to read and engage and truly understand, then it's probably not going to happen in the browser. And the goal on this email would be to get a click. And so you would shorten it with a really powerful, compelling reason to get them to click through. And then on the landing page, you would hit them with a rich opportunity to learn more. And I would probably make it, uh, Chris, story-driven. Personality and story-driven. I've done this with many nonprofits, and I can tell you that the biggest driver of success would be changing this content so that it feels like you're hearing about individual people who are benefiting from this. And then you can generalize that with a few extra comments. But it's the individual, it's the particular, it's the specific that drives conversion. Audience, if you're listening to me, uh, then remember the key here, the most important advice I'm giving to Chris, is that you need to ask yourself if the 
context of the email on its body is the best place to achieve what you've done with the email. In most cases, the goal of the email is just to get a click. Get them past this page to the landing page where you can truly communicate with them. I have one minute left. Chris, send us uh, your changes. We'll look at them. Let's take the last minute and look at another one. Puzzle Warehouse. This is familiar to me also. And... Um, this is familiar to me also. And this is submitted by Beth. Puzzle Warehouse. So here's a place where you can purchase puzzles. And I'm looking at an email, not a landing page. And the first problem is it looks like a landing page, not an email. Beth, you're probably going to get the most tierce comments of anyone. Please forgive me. I've got less than a minute and I'm just going to shoot. Audience, I'm going to just talk briskly about what I would do to improve this email. Number one, I'd be very careful about the big graphic at the top. It makes this look like a magazine ad or landing page. You can say 25% off in a headline without using that much space and that great big giant orange inventory cell blowout does nothing but feel like hype and gets in the way of the message. And, and you now have to compete with that to shop now to get them before they're gone forever. Huge savings. The tone of the email is frightening, I think. It doesn't have... I'd like to test that tone. Maybe it will work for your audience, but I'd be aware of that tone. But even if I was going to adopt the tone, I would do that with a simple headline and a subheader, and then I'd get them into examples. Look at what you have below. You have categories and or puzzles, and that may drive them. That might be the very best thing to put here. But if you have a much larger selection, the problem I have found with this is that people will determine whether to click through based on what you put on this page. And unless you know these are the particular products that they particularly want, what you need on this page instead is a good reason to get them to that other page. And that's like something totally different in your tack. For instance, if you're sending this to an existing customer, tell them that only because they are an existing customer, you're inviting them for the next 48 hours to purchase uh, from your store at 25% off. Give them a special number and tell them this is not just a, you know, tell them point blank that this is for customers only and do it in a tone and a way that makes it credible. Then get them to the page and when they hit a special landing page, probably not your home page, a special landing page, welcoming them into this special uh, 24, you know, 25% uh, um, off sale for invitation only, you would have all the key categories, drive them back into your nav and, and explain to them why you're thanking them with this particular opportunity. I would be very careful. I did this in Italy and found that the product mix on the page was what was hurting the conversion rate because people literally thought that's all they had to choose from. So be careful about the product mix. Turn this into a message instead of a landing page and drive more people to where they can make the biggest possible decision. So, thank you, and I'm grateful for uh, everyone's input. I am out of time, and if you found today useful, I only have one request. Tell someone, build this community, and if you enjoyed it, let us know as you're leaving. We'd love to hear from you. We pay close attention, and if you didn't enjoy it, tell us that. Uh, we really appreciate all the feedback. It's the, it's the heart and soul of what drives us here. What you tell us helps us continue to optimize these clinics to bring you uh, our best effort to help you with something. Thank you again. We'll be back again in about two weeks with more content. More discoveries. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com.